I'd like to start this evening in the book of Mark. <clears throat> Turn, if you would, to Mark uh, chapter 6. What must it have been like to be there with Jesus? What a healer he must have been. The end of chapter 6. Feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. Kind of surprises the disciples out there in the middle. and Be of good cheer, it's I. Verse 53 is where I'd like to start. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. Now, they'd been to Gennesaret before. You may remember there was another crossing of the sea, another kind of storm. And they had been met by a couple of wild men. Jesus had healed them and sent them as missionaries to Gennesaret. Now he's back for the second time. Verse 54, when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick or wherever they heard he was, to wherever they heard he was, wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and so many as touched him were made well. What a marvelous thing that was, to be brought to Jesus, to touch the hem of his garment, and to be made well. This word, made well, in my New King James Version, uh, sometimes it's healed in another. This word in the Greek is sozo. Now, you may have heard some of the talk about, there's a book out on disozo, right? I chose the title for the talk as DeSozo, because I'd like to spend some time talking about this word and what it means in our lives. This word sozo, and I, first, I'm not a Greek scholar. I have to get out my concordance and say, what does it mean? And when I look at it, in the uh, King James Version, it is uh, translated as to be whole, to be healed, to make whole, and then most commonly it is translated to save in the biblical sense. Now this is a very interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? This concept of being healed and being saved. How do these fit together? The saved is in a theological sense. The healing is in certainly, obviously, a physical healing sense. So how do these fit together? Apparently in the Greek Hebrew mind, they fit together quite well. And as I thought about it, it began to make sense. This morning, we had a presentation by uh, Dr. Phil Mills of um, the kind of the trip to Emmaus. And those of you who were here, our hearts were touched as we remembered what happened. The story that I have reviewed is actually in Mark chapter 5, so it's just back a chapter. You might as well turn back. I'm going to read it again, 
And let's see if we can discover how these concepts of healing and salvation come together, join together, if you will. So verse 21, and this is uh, after that first trip to Genesaret. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be sozo. Now, apparently, uh, it says, and she will live. So apparently there was a physical illness, and he uses the word, come save, come heal my daughter. Now, what, okay, heal, I understand, make her well so she can be hungry again and, and live and be happy and smile and, and live. But is she also being saved? What's she being saved from? Well, she's being saved from the results of her illness, isn't she? Now, I don't know what that illness was. We're not told. We have to kind of guess at what that might be. But we know that it was bad enough to lead to death. So she's saved from the consequences of whatever the illness would be. So verse 24, Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him, and a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. It suffered many things from many physicians. This always bothers me when I read this because I am a physician and I seek to try to help people get well. Suffer many things at the hands of many physicians. I worry about our medical business today. Are there people that come to your practice that you just can't quite figure out? You know, sometimes it's that fibromyalgia patient and I've wondered... I would rather bring healing. I'm not quite as good as Jesus is, but I certainly want to join with him as bringing healing and indeed salvation. Suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Anyone who uh, knows a little bit about gynecology knows that you get a flow of blood for 12 years, you really have a trouble, trouble with anemia, right? And when that hemoglobin is really low, there's a lot of fatigue. She had worked hard to get close to Jesus to touch. She had heard, she had responded, and she had put out almost superhuman effort. When that hemoglobin gets down to four or five, it takes a lot of effort to move. When she heard about Jesus, she touched his garment. For she said, if I can only touch his clothes, I shall be, there's that word again, sozo, healed. That is, she wanted the problem fixed, but in her own mind it was also saved. What was she being saved from? Well, she was being saved from spiritual impurity. She couldn't go to the synagogue because of her uncleanness. She was being saved from fatigue. She was being saved from ostracization, saved from illness. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. Jesus is a <clears throat> gynecologist and apparently also a hematologist. <laughs> 
for there was an immediate transfusion. And I, I imagine what it might have, might have been like for hemoglobin jumping for, from 4 or 5 up to 12. Just like that, and it worked, and she could move. And the energy was there, and it began to flow through her. Oh, the joy in her heart as she turned away. I touched the hem of his garment, and he healed me. He made me well. He saved me from the consequence of my illness. And Jesus stopped, uh, knowing that power had gone out from him. Verse 30, he says, who touched my clothes? The disciples, what do you mean who touched me? Look, people are pressing around. And Jesus looked around until he saw the woman and looked right at her. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has sozo, healed you, has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Healing, salvation. As a physician, I find lessons in theology hidden in this concept. I, in my experience, have spent some time treating people with uh, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and others with lifestyle-related diseases. As I've reached out and tried to help them come to healing, I've come to understand that there is some theology to be learned from that process. You see, when you've got a heart artery that's plugged up, it might be helpful to have Dr. Schwartz open it up, but that's not going to solve the problem, right? Those stents don't prolong life, uh, we, we've come to understand. If you really want to get better, you need a new heart, right? <laughs> and that sounds a bit theological, but you need those arteries cleaned out, and there's something about living by the laws by which God made our bodies to live that leads to that sozo, that healing, and that salvation. Healing and salvation, if you stop to think about it, both depend on predictable and reproducible principles. Sometimes we call them laws. And these laws bring a blessing to us when they are kept. God's laws are marvelous. Sir Isaac Newton was, I think, the one who introduced us to this concept of gravity. Are you all acquainted with it? Gravity, uh, a rule once put in mathematical formulation, something that can be used, and we've built an awful lot on that. As we understand it, uh, it is we're able to use it more. Have you ever thought of trying to break that law of gravity? Uh, I think the illustration I remember from my younger years was try the Empire State Building and jump off to break the law of gravity, right? And on floor 150, your response is, no problem so far. Floor 100, no problem. Floor 50, fine, but then the bottom comes, right? And there's a splat, and you discover that you did not break the law of gravity, but the law of gravity broke you. 
And so it is with all God's laws. Certainly the physical laws, but also uh, the laws of physiology. Here's one of my favorite ones. Use it or lose it, right? Uh, Amblyopia, you know, that little weak eye. If you don't patch the good one and kind of force the, the one to work, it'll get weak and it won't be able to see out of the eye, right? It's use it or lose it. Uh, some of us have had the opportunity to put casts on people. A fractured ankle, and as a family physician, I'll do that if it's simple. I leave the orthopedist to the orthopedist, the challenging ones. But I put a number of these on, wrap that leg up, send somebody out for 10 to 14 days and say, you better come back. That cast has now gotten rather loose. We cut it off because the swelling has gone down, but also the muscle has begun to atrophy, right? And then the cast goes back on, and at six weeks, you take it off, you've got one big leg, and then you've got a second, smaller, hairy one, right? It's just kind of the way it works. I know it stinks a little bit, too. But it, it's the principle. You either use it or you lose it. The same might be true for our brains and Alzheimer's disease, right? You either use it or it begins to uh, deteriorate. So it's a principle, a law, if you will, of God's government. He put it together. It works in a lot of different areas, but it's one of those rules. One of the uh, my experiences, as I did my Master's of Public Health and Nutrition at Loma Linda University, uh, going back after several years in the mission field, and I remember the... Uh, uh, class that I took from Dr. Blankenship on lipids. Lipids, you know, is the study of fats, and it was quite interesting. In the kind of nutritional uh, curriculum, we had a class on proteins and a class on carbohydrates and a class on fats. Dr. Blankenship was his last year. He was uh, teaching on how fats went. I enjoyed his lecture style. It was slow. I could take notes, and when we got done, I understood it. It was a little different than medical school. <laughs> I enjoyed, uh, you know, learning about how cholesterol worked and LDL and all these things. One of the th stories that he told us was some of his own research on uh, oxidized cholesterol. Have you heard of oxidized cholesterol? As he explained it to us, he said, oxidized cholesterol is different when a lot of people think it is. He says it goes like this. Cholesterol needs to be heated up to about 400, 450 degrees and then placed in an acid environment. And you know the uh, four different kind of carbon circles in cholesterol. Uh, there's a little break or an addition to the hydroxyl group on kind of the bottom two. And when it gets dropped into the acid, you get an oxygen molecule stuck in as a real small kind of fifth ring on cholesterol. He said, when I give that stuff to rats, within 20 minutes, I can see atherosclerosis on the artery walls. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? So that's kind of one of those cause and effect relationships. Uh, you and I, of course, don't have to worry about that because we're vegetarians, right? So we're not taking any cholesterol. Well, occasionally I note that some of my vegetarian friends like to visit... Uh, have you heard of the Golden Arches? Yeah. There's a kind of the, there's a good vegetarian food in the Golden Arches, they call it French fries, right? I think that's what draws many of us in. <laughs> I've been addicted to them in, myself in the past. So that gets dipped in oil, which 
has had some animal stuff in it. There's likely some cholesterol around. Some of that cholesterol now at around 400 to 450 degrees, deep fried, attaches to the potato. We put in our stomach a little bit of acid and you know, there's the oxidized cholesterol. Maybe that's why uh, reporting cholesterol deposits in the arteries of younger and younger people. About 10 years ago, I read a report of even finding atherosclerosis intrauterine in the child, the baby's arteries. You know, cause and effect relationships. God has given these rules. Sometimes he tells them outright to us. Sometimes he leaves us to find them. But as we find them, we should respond to them and learn to live by the laws rather than trying to break the laws, right? Now, I gave this illustration in my home church. And nine, 12 months later, I still have um, members coming to me and say, you really destroyed uh, French fries for me. Because <laughs> now you'll think about it when you go in, won't you? It's amazing how much it helps to be able to understand God's laws. It's another principle. To understand them makes them easier to obey. You cannot break them. You can only prove them correct. Now, uh, I like to... Uh, share this principle with the young folks and you know the teenagers sometimes they kind of fight against the uh, the the rules and say I don't want to do those and I like to put it this way for them you don't have to keep God's law you get to keep God's law because there are benefits right from living by those laws we in our hearts tend to Resist. Have you found yourself doing this? I know I do. I learned some new health principle. I learned something new from reading the scripture. It really doesn't matter where it is. And I'll say, well, uh, that was Old Testament. That doesn't apply now. Or I'll say, yes, but I get such good exercise. That particular one doesn't matter for me. I'm learning about God's laws, but I'm kind of having an argument with those laws. Corollary to this understanding that what God has told us is best for us is also an understanding that when our natural impudence, impudent response to God's law is actually a question of his goodness and maybe more harmful than actually breaking the law itself. What an opportunity to embrace what God has shared with us. He is uh, uh, filled with good things for us. Some people think that uh, this attitude about the law is a New Testament sort of a thing. And I'd like you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 48, where I find that this was uh, God's idea even for his Old Testament people. So Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 17. It's a beautiful text. Jesus is talking to his people. I can hear the tears in his eyes as the words come out. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. Verse 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. 
they had decided to go their own way. And God cries, if only you had heeded. Then your peace would have been like a river. How is a river? It just flows, doesn't it? Just keeps right on going, steady, always flowing. Peace like a river comes from obedience. Heeding his commandments. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. What do you know about the waves of the sea? Well, sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. The size of the waves depends on the strength of the wind blowing over top of it. And as the, spirit, uh, the wind blows over the waters, it creates waves which hits the beach one after another. What a beautiful picture of how God wants our own righteousness to be. The work of His Spirit on our lives, one right after the other. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. This was what God wanted for His people. But it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's also in the New Testament. Let's turn over to uh, James chapter 1. James is right after uh, Hebrews. For some reason, my Bible always has a hard time turning quickly to a place when I'm standing up front. I don't know if you've run into that problem before. So this is the end of uh, James chapter 1, around verse 20, let's see, 2. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks at the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forget a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That phrase, the perfect law of liberty, isn't that an interesting one? God's law is like that. When you are obedient to that law, when you live according to that principle, there is freedom. That freedom uh, can, be, can come in a lot of different ways. That is, in obedience, there is blessing. And we uh, gain that blessing. A great principle. When I think in the health field of freedom and bondage. I think bondage in the health field must be pretty close to the intensive care unit, right? You've cared for people in the intensive care unit. If not in your present practice, at least in medical school, you may remember all the tubes. You know, there's the central lines, there's the catheters, there's the uh, tubes down just about any place and then places they shouldn't be, right? So. And, and bound, wires can't move. I just as soon avoid that. Now, I'm thankful for the intensive care unit. I may need one someday. <laughs> but there are a whole host of diseases. There are a whole host of laws having been broken that lead to uh, diseases that could end someone up in an intensive care unit with a heart attack or... Uh, uh, a stroke, or just so many things, right? And it's those lifestyle choices, those laws that were broken, the oxidized cholesterol, the lack of exercise, the 
do nots. You know they're called do nots for a reason. Right? <laughs> so our bodies work by principles. When we live by them, there can be healing for our bodies. I have had the opportunity in my past experience to spend some time in a lifestyle treatment center. Some of you know that I spent about five years at the Lifestyle Center of America, most of which <coughs> excuse me, was as the medical director. It was an amazing experience to have people come in who were very, very sick. They had broken God's laws over and over again, or tried to, and were now broken, enslaved by the diseases, the illness that came from trying to transgress or break them. They came in, most of them, a heavy bunch. Their eyes kind of glazed over. When you spoke with them, they were listening, but it couldn't last very long. Many of them in wheelchairs, walkers, canes, uh, in uh, kind of a state of, uh, well, significant illness and uh, bound, certainly not free. And, and we would invite them into a uh, kind of controlled environment, place them on a plant-based diet, get them exercising. I had the opportunity of uh, doing often the introduction for the patients on the first evening. They'd come in on a Sunday. Sunday evening, we'd have them all in the auditorium, and I would welcome them, encourage them, uh, give them hope. We had seen changes happen before, and people had what looked to us like miracles, able to walk, coming off insulin, blood pressure coming down, coming off medications, and that's indeed what many of them had come from, for. I told them that they would need to be uh, exercising, that we were going to be giving them good food, and that we would be giving them uh, personal care. When I talk about exercise, I say, now, many of you have a hard time with knees and hips, and, and maybe it's hard to get around, so we've got a nice exercise pool where the water is nice and warm. Now, that was supposed to be enticing, but having met with these people for some time, I knew what was going on in their minds. And so I spoke to the elephant in the room. I know you haven't been in a swimming suit in 25 years. And someone would say from the audience, no, 35, <laughs> 40, right? And I told them, I want you to know that we do not look at you like you think we look at you. What we see is potential. And I said, I want you to notice in the gym, there are no mirrors. All the gyms you've ever been to before are full of mirrors, right? Ours has no mirror. We don't want you to think about where you are. We want to think, to you to think about where you're going. We see the potential. Now, tell me, is that not very close to what this theological term justification means? You know, when we come to Jesus for healing, for sozo, for salvation, his heart leaps with joy because he sees our potential. Are we there yet? No. But he can see us 
how we will become. Just like when I saw those patients coming in, I'm looking forward to the excitement in their eyes, to the healing that's happening, to the improvement in their lives. You see, there is a parallel between this business of healing and salvation. The two kind of come together. Um, another one. Uh, after about three days, their eyes start to lighten up. They, they have more energy in their step. They're, when I lectured to them, they were actually listening. And, and when I could tell they were listening, and they start to ask questions. They're starting to sense that they're getting better. Now, if I look at them and their size and I look at their, on the scale, there isn't that much difference. It's true, some of their weight's coming down, but I can't see what's really happening. It's inside. My blood test will tell me a little bit later, right? And doesn't Scripture say, man looks on the outward and God looks on the heart? You see, the physiology is changing. Once someone begins to be obedient to God's law, there is a healing that is taking place, even though observers may not be seeing it. God's love is bringing change. God's laws are bringing change to these people. And uh, when I sent them home, and they'd been there for two and a half weeks, miracles happened. I enjoyed particularly that last visit you know, people who had come in in a wheelchair say, Doc, I just walked a mile. I feel great. And, you know, just checking all the labs and all the things that had improved, it was a time of great rejoicing for everybody. Certainly the graduation ceremony when you're sending people home. It's a marvelous thing when miracles take place. And I know they're slow miracles. Sometimes Jesus' miracles, like the woman with the bleeding, was instantaneous. Sometimes it's slower and... And I'm experiencing that in this whole realm of lifestyle intervention. So when we sent them home, they were always sent home with a speech that went something like this. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you got. Right? If you, get, if you go back to your bad lifestyle, then bad things return. If you keep on with what you've learned and the steps you've made, then healing continues. Right? Now that sounds an awful lot like something theologically we call sanctification, right? It's the work of a lifetime. It's keeping on, keeping on. So God calls us for this healing. I remember uh, George who came to the uh, Lifestyle Center with... Uh, well, we, he wanted to come the program earlier, but we had a rule. They had to be out of the hospital for at least a week before they came. We're not acute care. He had been admitted to the uh, uh, cardiac care unit at his hospital somewhere in Southern California with a cardiac event. He had had a stent placed. He had been uh, stabilized. And he said, I want to do something about my diabetes, my heart disease, my weight. I want to fix this. And he had heard about what we did, and he came out for a, an intensive lifestyle intervention. That was one of our marketing tools. Do you want your intensive care now or later? Right? <laughs> so 
George came in ready to go, and he put his heart to it. As he put his heart to it, the changes began to happen. What he told me he wanted to do was come off that insulin. I wasn't sure his pancreatic function was enough to do that or whether he'd be able to do it, but I said, if that's what you'd like to do, let's do it. So he put his heart to it. He began to exercise regularly, ate well, increased his hydration, slept well. Uh, all the kind of the things that have to do with how our body functions well. And George's blood sugars started to come down nicely. They weren't perfect, but by the end of the program, you know, I always like to send people back to their doctor with perfect blood sugars. His were up a little bit. So we had a little uh, negotiation at the end. And George says, no, I'm going to stick with this. And <clears throat> I said, okay, we won't add the medication back in. This is the way you want to do it. I'll support you in that. So off he went. I appreciated uh, George's commitment, and I was pleased six months later when he came back. Uh, his blood sugars were really completely normal. The Don phenomenon was gone. He had lost 60 pounds. His uh, lipids were down. His blood pressure was down, and we were able to take him off more medications. It's a miracle, right? It's what happens when we obey God's laws. Often... In the second weekend of the program, as we had gotten to know people, I would introduce those who had come, our guests, to these concepts. You know, as you are experiencing healing, you're experiencing salvation, I'd like to tell them, I'd like to say, without spiritual, no, religious baggage. <laughs> You know, sometimes our picture of how God works has been distorted. Satan has been trying to distort it from, you know, since sin started in, this, in his heart, I guess, trying to distort what God is doing and to change it. So Satan is trying to distort God's salvation process as well. The healing that they were experiencing was a way of experiencing salvation without theological baggage to kind of confuse things. They were understanding the whole purpose of obedience. You're not trying to earn God's favor. No, obedience is the best thing for you to do. God's trying to help you do that. And as you do that, healing can take place. And as you turn to him, he opens his arms and says, welcome. I'm excited. Let's go together. And as we continue day by day, we experience, it, we experience that whole business of sanctification. So an, an opportunity to see salvation and healing together. We as uh, Seventh-day Adventists often use the term, and maybe you've heard this, the health message is the right arm. Have you heard that before? When I first heard this as a younger person, as a young physician, and before I thought, okay, I understand. Jesus loves us. There is a salvation process. There are good things. And the Seventh-day Adventist understanding of the great controversy is something that I would like to introduce to people. And what I'll do is health will be the doorknob which will open the door so I can get close to people and thereby uh, be able to communicate 
this wonderful message with them. That's the way I thought of it. And as I've come to understand this concept of de Sozo, healing and salvation together, I've begun to wonder, maybe it would be a good idea if we let the health message be a right arm for ourselves to help us understand more clearly the theology of salvation. Because I think there's a lot of healing in that. Certainly, the cause and effect relationships of law, justification, sanctification, how God is working for our healing are all reflected. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Uh, for whoever will sozo his life shall lose it. Whoever wants to save his life, you want to try to fix yourself, it won't work. Okay? Only Jesus can bring us healing. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall sozo it. As we lose our lives for Jesus, there is a saving that takes place. God's great grace gives us forgiveness, gives us justification, sanctification, healing, and makes us over new. I'm thankful for a God who loves us. I'm thankful for an understanding of a God who knows how to heal us inside, not just give us a legal fix on the outside, but actually change our lives and take away the addictions and, and take away the illness and fix us, restore us completely. I'm thankful for Sozo, for healing, and for salvation. Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.